you to come in the Word of God to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. I'm reading from verse 6 of Psalm 55. Psalm has said, So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. All of us, to one degree or another, for some reason or other, at some time or another, I'm sure have felt like throwing in the towel of just giving up. Not necessarily giving up on God or giving up on our Christian faith, or it could be, but not necessarily, but maybe giving up on our hope, in our dream, something we've been praying about, working towards, and we're just tired and weary. And we feel like the psalmist in Psalm 55, where we would say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, and I would just fly away. Do you ever feel like flying away? I don't mean for a holiday on a beach in Spain somewhere, nice as that would be, but to just get out from under the load, just to get a breather from the pressure and the tension that perhaps you find yourself under. Elijah, he had his moments too. After that wonderful victory in Mount Carmel, and how he ran to Beersheba, and he, he sat under that broom tree and he says, Lord, it is enough. Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. And we know that Jeremiah, there was times he felt like giving up too. There's one time he said to God, I'm not going to preach for you anymore. I'm not going to prophesy in your name anymore. I'm done. I've had it. It's over. I can't do this any longer. John the Baptist, he had his depths of doubt and despondency and he sent a delegation to Jesus saying, are you really the one that's to come or do I have to look for another and Peter, he, he thought his ministry days were over. And he said, I go a-fishing. That's it, it's finished, it's done, it's over. Ministry's gone, I go a-fishing. Why do we feel like that? What brings us to the place where we look for a way out instead of a way through? Uh, for David in Psalm 55, it was the betrayal of his friend. In Psalm 55 and verse 12, he said, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. And then in verse 21, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And so there are moments and there are times whenever we feel this way. Jeremiah, you know, he had to withstand the, the resistance and even the indifference to the prophecies he gave, to the word that he taught, and nobody wanted to hear him. I mean, people just did not want to listen to Jeremiah. It didn't matter what he said. Every time he said, thus saith the Lord, they just shut him down. They just did not want to know anything about his ministry. John the Baptist, I mean, when he was having waves of doubt, whenever he was in the prison and, and it was washing over his soul. So all of these people, they all had that feeling of wanting to give up. I mean, even Peter, uh, it was his sense of failure. 
after that tremendous failure in his life, he, he just uh, uh, didn't seem to be able to get over it. It just overtook him completely. He was so ashamed and humiliated by what he had done by denying Christ. But what about us? What would make us feel like throwing in the towel? What would make us feel like giving up and quitting and walking away? You know, it could be just a dream that hasn't happened yet. It could be all those prayers that seem to go unanswered. It could be a situation where something you've desperately wanted and needed, but it hasn't taken place yet. And maybe you get to that stage where you just think, well, what is the point? And just want to just give up. Now, this can be temporary. It doesn't have to last. But when you're in the midst of it, it's most uncomfortable and it's just a terrible feeling that just washes over you. So what is it with you today? Fill in the blanks. Could be any number of things, couldn't it? Let's take a look then at some of the things that would cause us to give up, to throw in the towel. First of all, we want to give up whenever we lose our perspective. All those Bible heroes we just mentioned, they temporarily lost their perspective. It didn't last with them. It was temporary, but it still had that negative, awful effect in their lives. You see, David certainly had a, a jealous Saul, and he had a treacherous Ahithophel. That was the one he was speaking about there in Psalm 55. Uh, who, who was that Ahithophel? Ahithophel was his, his confidant. Ahithophel was his trusted friend, his great advisor, a man that was noted for wisdom. And so this was David's go-to guy. You know, when he needed counsel, when he needed wisdom, when he needed some good advice, and running the nation and the politics and, and the economy and all these things, Ahithophel was the number one guy to go to. He was a close friend. They would even go to the house of God together. And so spiritually, they were in touch and in tune, as well as, of course, in the secular level. But how come Ahithophel, how, how come he turned against David? What caused that? Why did that happen? Well, let me, let me just show you something here. Way back in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it's the well-known story, of course, of David and Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And so we're very familiar with that. Aren't David, Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite. But there's another name mentioned here, and I want to draw this to your attention. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David rose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so David sees this, and he's smitten. Lust begins to rise in his heart. And so David and sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? 
Now we know about David, we know about Bathsheba, we know about Uriah the Hittite, but notice the other name that's mentioned here. Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? This actually was Ahithophel's son. Eliam was Ahithophel's son. And the daughter of Eliam was Bathsheba. So Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. He was her granddad. And so you can see how he would feel that his trusted friend David, his close companion, you can see after David committed this terrible act with Bathsheba and actually got Uriah, her husband, killed in the battle, you can see how that would affect Ahithophel. And Ahithophel, even though he continued to be by David's side, but inside there was a fire that was burning of revenge. He wanted to get revenge. And here is his opportunity. When David's son Absalom rises up against David to take his very throne, Ahithophel throws in with Absalom. And that's what David's referring to. But you can see why Ahithophel did that because he was so hurt because what David had done to his granddaughter. And so here's David. And it was the betrayal he felt of his friend Ahithophel. And sometimes betrayal can really, really run deep and it can really hurt, you know, especially if it's by a friend. And sometimes that's very long-lasting unless God, by his grace and mercy, uh, can do something in our hearts. Elijah, maybe Elijah never would have ran to Beersheba had he had known that there was 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. Had he had known that, he probably wouldn't have ran. He would have had a different perspective. He probably would have saw things differently, but he didn't know, and he did run, and he ended up away in Beersheba. Jeremiah must have found it very, very difficult to preach to people who didn't want to hear. I mean, there must be nothing so discouraging and so heart-wrenching is preaching to people who just doesn't even want to know you. They despise you. In everything you say, they throw it back in your face. And yet, and yet Jeremiah knew that going into it. God had already told them. They don't want to hear what you're going to say. They'll put their fingers in their ears. They'll turn away from you. In fact, they did worse than that. They put them in jail. They wanted to kill them. And so temporarily, at that moment, he just got to the place where he said, enough. I don't want any more of this. No more preaching, no more prophesying. They don't want to hear. I just want to walk away. But it was temporary. Ever notice how if you concentrate and fix your eyes on just one thing, maybe something you're looking at. I'm looking straight at you right now. But my peripheral vision is very unfocused. It's a bit blurry at the sides because I'm looking directly right at you at the moment. And it's good to look directly. It's good to fix your eye on one thing. Paul said, this one thing I do, but it needs to be the right thing. Because if you fix your eye on the wrong thing, 
If you fix your eye on the negative thing, if you fix your eye on the thing that wants you to quit right now and to give up and throw the towel in, then you, you don't see all the good things that's already around you. It blocks that out because you're so focused on that one thing that's getting you down, that's depressing you, that's hurting you, that's making you fearful, that makes you want to give up and quit. And you miss all the good things that's happening around you. We want to give up whenever we get physically and emotionally weary. And Elijah was both. From Mount Carmel to Beersheba, where he ran to, was at least 100 miles as the crow flies. That's the equivalent of four marathons. Now, whether he ran every step of the way, we don't know. But it was a long journey to take and he was in a hurry to get away because his very life was threatened. There was a death sentence hanging over him. And so he ran. And then when he got to Beersheba, he said to his servant, you stay here and I'm going to go a day's journey into the wilderness. And so there's maybe another 15 or 20 miles into the wilderness. And he sat down under that broom tree and he says, it's enough, Lord. Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. I thought things were going to change, but nothing's changed. You see, if you read that story in 1 Kings 19, you would see that he was very, very human and God understood that. James wrote in his little epistle, he says, Elijah was a man with passions just like we have. He was just a human being, just like us. And yet he was a man of tremendous faith and ordinarily he was a man of great courage. But at this moment, temporarily, he had lost his perspective. He didn't know there was those 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. All he knew was that Ahab and his wife were wicked and he was on the run. But God sends his angel and he gives him some food. He gives him some sustenance. He gives him something for his body. And he gives him some rest. And then he gives him some encouragement for his soul. See, God knows our weakness. He knows our humanity. And this would give Elijah a fresh renewed perspective and sometimes that's what we just need just a renewed perspective just to see things from a different angle from a different height if possible and it's not always possible but if possible try not to make a major decision whenever you're emotionally and physically drained Elijah I mean his tank was empty I mean that was it and God had to send an angel to him. That's how bad it was. So try not, if you can, make a major decision when you're physically and emotionally drained and tired and weary. Because chances are you're going to make the wrong decision. Sometimes you just need a rest. You just need to come apart a little bit and just try to rest and calm yourself and pray and just say, Lord, help me. I need your help in this. And the Lord will be gracious and give it to you. Sometimes we want to give up whenever we feel we haven't succeeded. When you've done your best and you've prayed your hardest and it still hasn't worked out, the answer still hasn't come, that's when you're tempted to give up. But that's why the scriptures say, having done all, stand. There comes a point when you have done all you can do and you've prayed your hardest and it hasn't changed. What are you going to do? You're going to keep standing. 
that's important how we stand. And Paul gives us the, the way to stand in Ephesians 6 with the armor of God. So sometimes there's nothing left to do. Sometimes you've prayed all your prayers. You can't think, what else can I say? Then the time is to stand, but not quit, not walk away, not give up, but to keep standing. Elijah has done his best. He had prayed his hardest. But Ahab and Jezebel were still totally unrepentant. In fact, if anything, they're worse. They're harder than ever they were. And, and he must have felt, what was the point of all that? It was a waste of time. Nobody has changed here. Nothing has happened. They saw the power of God. They saw fire coming down from heaven. And you'd think that would change their minds, but it didn't. It made them even harder and worse. And so he felt he had not succeeded. I'm no better than my father's. This has done no good whatsoever. It's just been a big waste of time. Jeremiah had done his best. He had prayed his hardest. But still the people mocked him and scorned him and wanted to kill him. John the Baptist had prayed his hardest. He had done his best. But he ended up in prison. <laughs> he ended up in prison. And a sense of failure sometimes can make us want to give up. You know, John the Baptist got to the stage where he thought, I've wasted my time. Not, this hasn't worked. I've missed it somewhere along the line. Is he really the one that should come? Do we look for another? Have all that I've done and all that I've said, has all that been a waste of time? When he's in prison, he thinks this. And so... When you haven't succeeded, when you feel you have failed, John the Baptist felt he had failed. He hadn't. And as far as Christ was concerned, in fact, Jesus said, John the Baptist was the greatest, the greatest man that ever lived. So Jesus didn't think he had failed at all, but he felt that. And sometimes it's us who feel the failure. Others maybe don't see that, but we feel that. And maybe we haven't failed at all, but we feel that. And whenever you feel that, that's when you want to give up. That's when you want to throw the towel in. But you're not going to give up. You're not going to throw the towel in. You're not going to walk away. You're going to keep standing. You're going to trust the Lord. You're not going to walk away from this. You're going to be blessed. And you're going to stand. Uh, uh, Hebrews 11 is that great roll call of faith, isn't it? You think of Abraham and Sarah, how they believed the impossible. You think of Gideon and how he undertook the insurmountable. You think of those in Hebrews 11 who uh, faced hardship, but they just would not give up. Let, let me just read this here from Hebrews 11. And I'll just break into the towards the end of the chapter. There's a great roll call of faith and all that they stood for and believed in and God blessed. But then it says in verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Even though they had not received the promise, but they did not give up. They kept on going on through all of the hardships, through all of the difficulties of life. They just would not quit. Thank God for people like that. Abraham Lincoln was arguably the best president America ever had. Loads of books were written about him. Movies were made about him. But the one thing about his life that stands out is he was not a quitter. He just refused to quit. And if I just share just a couple of things about his career for a moment, just to kind of let you see the type of a guy he was. In 1831, he failed in business. In 1832, he was defeated for the legislature. In 1834, he was elected to the legislature. In 1835, his sweetheart died. In 1836, he had a nervous breakdown. In 1838, he was defeated for speaker. 1840, defeated for elector. 1843, defeated for Congress. 1846, he liked it to Congress. 1848, defeated again for Congress. 1855, defeated for the Senate. 1856, defeated for Vice President. And then almost 30 years later, 1860, he was elected President of the United States and became arguably one of the greatest presidents, if not the greatest president that ever lived. He just would not give up. And what a lesson there is for us in that. Chuck Swindle has some great stories. He can be a very humorous guy. And he said he once heard W.A. Criswell, the long-time beloved pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, tell a story about an evangelist who loved to hunt. And this man bought two setter dogs that were top-notch bird dogs. He kept them in his backyard where he trained them. And one morning, an ornery little vicious-looking bulldog came shuffling and snorting down the alley. He crawled under the fence into the backyard where the setters spent their days. It was easy to see he meant business. The evangelist's first impulse was to take his setters and lock them in the basement so they wouldn't tear up that little bulldog. But he decided he would just let the little creature learn a lesson he would never forget. Naturally, they got into a scuffle in the backyard, and those two setters and that bulldog went round and round and round. And the little critter finally had enough, so he squeezed onto the fence and took off. And all the rest of that day, he whined and licked his sores. Interestingly, the next day about the same time, he ke- here comes that little ornery little bulldog back onto the fence and after those setters. And once again, those two bird dogs beat the stuffing out of that little bow-legged animal and would have chewed him up if he hadn't retreated down the alley. Would you believe it? The very next day he was back. Same time, same station, same results. Once again, after the bulldog had all he could take, he crawled back onto the fence and found his way home to lick his wounds. Well, the evangelist said, I had to leave for a revival meeting. I was gone several weeks. 
And when I come back, I asked my wife, what happened? She said, honey, you just won't believe it. Every day at the same time, every morning, that little bulldog came back into the backyard and fought with our two setters. He never missed a day. And I want you to know that it has come to the place that when our setters simply hear that bulldog snorting down the alley and spot him squeezing under the fence, they immediately start whining and run down into the basement. That little old bulldog struts around our backyard now like he owns the place. <laughs> ah, somebody said it's not the size of the dog that's in the fight. It's the size of the fight that's in the dog. That's what really counts, isn't it? Is there some fight still left in you? Has the battle been tough? Have you feel the pressure and the stress and the strain of what life has done? Don't give up the fight. Keep fighting. All right, let me give you some reasons why you shouldn't give up. If God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans chapter 8, In verse 31, Paul said, what, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is for you. Who or what can be against you? It doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter what. The fact is God is for you. He's on your side. And when God's on your side, then you can win in every battle in life. God has given us all that we need to win in the battles of life. He truly, surely has. And Ephesians 6 Paul writes, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. See how many times it says to stand and to withstand. 
Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. God has given us everything we need to face the battle. Every spiritual defense, everything for a spiritual offense, he has given it all to us to wear, to put on the armor of God so that we can stand in the evil day, that we can stand when things are tough and hard. That's what helps you to stand. That's the grace of God. That's what God provides. So you're able in this situation you're facing to be able to stand and to withstand the works of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be unto God who always, always, always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. 1 John 5 and 4 Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. You may feel it giving up, but actually you are an overcomer. God has made you an overcomer today. And he's given you the ability and the wherewithal and everything you need to overcome your situation and life through Christ Jesus. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? God has given us everything we need to win this battle. And thirdly, the rewards of victory will be worth it all. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, Paul writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I have, in spite of all that came against me, and, and he writes a list of it. There's a whole list of stuff that he went through. In spite of all that, he says, I kept the faith. I ran the race. I got the finishing line. Now he said, just like those runners in the Olympics, there's a crown laid up for me. Their crown, by the way, he said in another place, he says, it's like a laurel leaf that weathers and fades. But he says, this crown will never fade. <laughs> the crown of life and the crown of right. There's five different crowns awaiting the believer. And so Paul, Paul looked beyond his present and he saw the prize that was set before him. And sometimes in the battle, and it's not easy, it's difficult, it's tough, but sometimes you've got to look beyond the present and see the prize whenever you win. Jesus in Hebrews 12 and 2, who for the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame, the shame of the cross, despised it to sit down at the right hand of the Father. He saw the rewards that was set before him. What was his rewards? You and I, we were his reward. And in his great prayer in John, he prays that we would see him in his glory, the glory that he had with the Father. That's what he wants us to see, to see him in all his splendor and glory as the champion, as the king of kings and lord of lords. That was the prize that was set before him. And he's got that prize. He won that battle at Calvary. He withstood everything the enemy threw at him. And he did that for you and he did that for me.
And fourthly and lastly, you gain nothing, absolutely nothing by quitting. Nothing. You do not gain anything by quitting. Peter said, I go a fishing. And he said that to six of his mates. And all six of them said, we'll go with you. And so seven of them went off. Now, why did they do that? Well, you know, whenever Jesus met them that resurrection morning, then he didn't meet them again until the eighth day. And then it was a long time before he met them again. You know, during that 40 days, he wasn't with them every day. Not at all. In fact, when he met them in the seashore, we'll talk about it in a moment, I said that was the third time he met them. And so there was, a, there was quite a period where he wasn't with them. And yes, they saw him resurrected. Yes, they saw the miracle of that. Yes, they knew he was alive and well. But as far as ministry was concerned, everything had changed. They really didn't think there would be any more ministry. And you know, Peter's a man and he had a wife. He had a house to keep. And he probably thought, you know, the whole ministry team, it's all, it's all busted, it's gone, it's finished, it's over. And there's nobody given to the ministry anymore. We, we have no secretary, we have, we have no treasure. In fact, the treasurer hung himself, he was a traitor. And so there's no money coming in. And, and I need to feed my family. I, I gotta do, I'll, what I'll do is I'll go back to fishing. I'll go back to the old life. Because my new life I thought I had, it's over. And the rest must have felt that too. They were in the same boat as it were. And so they went fishing. And they fished all night. And the Bible says they caught nothing. Not one thing did they get. Empty nets. And so they arrived the next morning. More defeated. More miserable. Because they gained nothing. And Jesus was standing there and he says, Children, have you any food? Did you catch anything? Not a thing. And you know, he talked to them and then he told them what to do and how they would get some fish. And they did what he asked them to do and boy, they got such a load of fish. I mean, it was a massive load they got. They brought it to shore. And that's when Jesus took Peter aside and talked to him and restored him. Brought him into that situation where he, you know, he had felt such humiliation and so forth. But Jesus forgave him. But you see, they had gained nothing. Nothing. In fact, whenever they got that great boatload of fish and they brought it in, they never wanted to fish again. They recognized this is the Lord. And then suddenly the feelings of, well, he told us we would be fishers of men one day. And so now they're realizing there is ministry left. There's something for us to do. It's not all over. See, the temporary lost their perspective, but now they've got it back again. But here's the problem. If you decide to throw in the towel and quit, very possibly somebody will be watching you. Somebody who's maybe wavering, wondering what should I do. And they watch you to see you're, what you're going to do. And if you quit, the chances are they'll quit too. The chances are they'll look at you and say, well, they were strong and they were a righteous person and they were a spiritual person and they've quit, they've given up. What hope is there for me? And they just give up too. And you see, when Peter decided to go fishing, six of his mates decided to go with him. But thank God it was only temporary. Thank God it was temporary. And all of them come back 
on the day of Pentecost, those same men who were quitters, <laughs> those same men who were throwing the towel in on the day of Pentecost, they rose up as mighty men of God. And look what they accomplished. Look what they achieved after that. Where are you today? What's your position? Where do you stand? You say, David, I'm in a good place today. I'm enjoying the blessing of the Lord. All my ducks are lined up in a row. I mean, everything's hunky-dory. I couldn't be better. I'm enjoying life to the full. Wonderful. Thank God. I rejoice with you if that's the case. But there may be somebody else. Maybe you. And it's not like that for you. Maybe you're feeling, Lord, I, I just don't know what's going on anymore. It seems my prayers are not being answered. I, I've kind of lost my vision. I, I seem to have no energy spiritually left. Um, the tank is just about empty. I don't know what to do anymore. I just feel like giving up. Is that you today? Well, I've got some good news for you. If you do not quit, there is going to be such a reward that awaits you if you do not quit. There's a due season that's coming. Paul talked about the due season. For those who do not faint, if you don't give in, there's a due season that's coming to you. So I want to encourage you today, if you're in that position where you're just wavering even and you're wondering, or maybe you have thrown the towel in, maybe you're watching me today, and maybe you did throw the towel in, but you're thinking, well, what gain was there in that? Nothing. Why did you come back to the Lord today? Why did you pray and stand before him and say, Lord, here I am. Yes, I gave up. Yes, I quit. But Lord, here I am. I'm back again. I need you. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your mercy. I need your strength. I need your power. And God will graciously grant it to you. Maybe you're about to. Maybe you're wavering and saying, Lord, I'm just on the edge. Well, listen, let me pray. Let me ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit and fill you with something that's positive and good, that you'll think right again. You know, that you're not, stop wavering and that you'll be strong and true and get your eye on the prize and on the goal. Can we do that? Let's do that right now. Gracious Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. Forgive us for the times whenever we have forgotten that. The times, Lord, whenever we got our eye off you and onto something else or someone else. Lord, I pray for those who are watching and listening today, particularly those who are on the verge, Lord, of giving up. I pray that today, that this message in some way will encourage and strengthen and challenge. And Lord God, that they will come to you and Lord, they will stand before you again and ask for your grace and your help and your love and your mercy and your strength. Lord, pour that into them today. Let them not turn back, but let them go forward in Jesus' name. Let your strength and your grace and your Holy Spirit fill them today. Lord, that they leave listening to this service today, Lord, with a new perspective in life. And Lord, that they get back into the fray. And Lord, that they go on walking in Christ Jesus. So Lord, bless those who are listening today. Let your presence and let your power be upon them. In Jesus' mighty name we ask this. Amen and amen.